You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and this is my second program recorded this pre-presidential campaign year with Hendrik Hertzberg, who writes comment for The New Yorker and has delighted us with its talk of the town for so many years now. Senior editor Hertzberg was early on a staff writer at The New Yorker, became Jimmy Carter's chief speechwriter, memorably taking the rap for the president's much maligned Malay speech. He was at the liberal, conservative, or conservative liberal New Republic for more than a decade, serving two terms as its editor, then returned to the New Yorker, where, unless perhaps we're in the White House, we so much enjoy reading him today. A political, but presumably not partisan theme, my guest, comes back to quite frequently these days, is the crusade for a national popular vote. And I want to begin today by asking him just why. What is the magic of this uh, reform that you look for? Well, uh, should I briefly say what the reform is? I think you'd better because I'll be damned if that big book that you gave me (laughs) enabled me to encompass it all. Well, the national popular vote uh, idea is that if you can get enough states to agree, enough states that have 270 electoral votes, which is what you need to to elect a president, if you can get them all to agree that once they've all said we're going to do this, that they will that they will cast all of their electoral votes for whoever wins, not the vote necessarily the vote in their state, but the popular vote in the entire country then all of a sudden you would be electing the president by the way we elect governors, senators, and everybody else, count the votes, person with the most votes wins. And everybody's vote counts the same. And this has now been adopted in, I think, 10 or 11 states. It's passed 31 legislative chambers. And uh, it's a way to get to a place that the great majority of Americans want to get to uh, without disturbing our Constitution or, or any of our institutions. Uh, it's just such a wonderful idea. Uh, it's caught on despite the fact that nobody really knows who's going to benefit. And so there isn't a kind of great big lobby behind it. It's uh, like a Stanford professor invented it and people like me uh, think it's a great idea. And when legislators sit down and think about it, Republicans and Democrats, uh, mostly Democrats, but a lot of Republicans too, they say, well, that makes sense. Isn't it a rather sneaky way, and I'm being pejorative, Mm -hmm. of amending the Constitution, of changing the concept that the framers had without doing so? No, it isn't, because what the framers had in mind bears no resemblance to what we have now. In fact, it doesn't bear any resemblance to what we had within 20 or 30 years of the adoption of the Constitution. Uh, What we got now is winner take all in every state. In every state, doesn't matter whether you win this, this, every state except two, two tiny little states, uh, Maine and and Nebraska. In, In every other state, you can win, a candidate can get one more vote than the the other candidate and gets 100% of the electoral votes. That's 
That's the way it's done. That's not in the Constitution. That's not how it was done in the, in the first few decades uh, of, uh, of the Republic. Um, it, the Constitution gives the power to the state legislatures to decide how their electors will be selected. doesn't even mention voting. There's not even any right to vote for president. Uh, the, 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 the state legislatures make that decision. And the state legislature can say, well, we're going to give all our electors to the one that wins in our state. They can say, we'll give all our electors to the one that wins in the whole country. Or they can say, we'll flip a coin and give all our electors to heads or tails. So you're saying that the original constitutional provision was for the states to make the decision as to how they would vote for president of the United States. Yes. And why did they make that decision? Why was that decision made? Why was it left to the states? <clears throat> well, we're told often by, by, uh, by conservatives, by, by uh, consti constitutional originalists who are not very well informed, that it all had to do with uh, preventing mob rule and, and uh, preserving the rights of the states. Um, actually, the real reason for the adoption, the, the decisive reason for the adoption of this scheme was to increase the power of the slave states. Kind of a dirty compromise between Rhode Island, not a slave state, but a very small state that was afraid of being uh, swallowed up, and the big slave states like South Carolina. <coughs> because what the Electoral College uh, does is to, is, to, is to allocate the electoral votes by population, not by voter, not by the voting population, not by voters, so that, that the infamous, uh, infamous uh, uh, three-fifths three rule gave those slave states extra electors. And that's why. And, and I'm not just making this up. Uh, the one record we have of uh, the deliberations of the Constitutional Convention, Madison's um, notes on this, makes it clear that that was the decisive factor. That was the sticking point. Yeah, they considered popular election. They considered quite a few different schemes. But the decisive thing was that, uh, that uh, was this extra power for, uh, for the slave states. And your reason for doing it now, for <clears throat> having us do it now? Well, I've been, I've been, I've been on this case for decades. But... Um, and in fact, uh, right before the 2000 election, the last piece I wrote right before the 2000 election was what happens if, what happens if, next, week, uh, what happens if next week a different candidate wins the popular vote and the electoral vote? Then what? And at the time, by the way, everybody thought it would be the other way around. Uh, there was a lot of speculation that, that, uh, that Bush would win the popular vote, Gore would win the electoral vote. Uh, the biggest reason I'm for this is not because of the wrong winner problem. That's a big problem. It's a big problem. It has surfaced a number of times in our history. It surfaced, it's actually happened four times. It's, it, it has happened, it's come close to happening uh, many more times, particularly in the last, uh, particularly in the last couple of decades. Uh, in quite a few elections, a, a small shift of votes in one state or two states could have given the, the presidency to, to somebody who'd lost badly in the popular vote. Um, but the big reason I'm for this isn't that. The big reason I'm for this is that right now you've got 
a maximum of 15 battleground states. That's the only place the presidential, the general election presidential campaign happens. That's the only place the candidates go. That's the only place they advertise. It's the only place they poll. That's, a, that's bad enough. Because but what's really bad is, things. the other ones are a sure thing. They're a lock. You know, George Bush in the, in the, in the 2000 uh, election, Texas, that's where he's from. That's his big state, huge Republican state. Uh, he spent $500 there in the... Uh, you kidding? In the gen no, that's, that's the number. Um, and, the, and did no, no polling, no polling outside of either, either candidate. None of the candidates, uh, once they're nominated, do any polling outside of these, this, this handful of states. The big problem is that for voters, for people, they're left out in all these other, in all of those uh, spectator states. Uh, so there's no point in engaging in any kind of grassroots politics. If you, live in a, if you live in a state that's a lock for one candidate or the other, and it doesn't matter whether it's your candidate or the other candidate, uh, there's no point in going around your neighborhood and trying to persuade your neighbors to vote for your candidate or getting out and passing out leaflets or manning at headquarters. What's the point of that? You gotta go to, to a background, if you can afford to and spare the time and you wanna actually participate, in a meaningful way in, in a presidential campaign, you've got to go to a battleground state. You've got to get on the bus and go to Pennsylvania. Uh, that's ridiculous. And, and, this, and, and when you have an election decided by these handful of states, it means also that the power of money is hugely magnified because you collect the money all over the place, New York and L.A. especially, and then you funnel it into poor little Ohio. So Ohio, is, Ohio and the battleground states are overwhelmed with the money. If, if every vote counted the same all over the country, and, uh, and this took me a while to get, but once, once, as I say, once enough states have signed on to this, then it doesn't matter whether you live in one of those states or not. Your vote's going to count the same as everybody, as, as any other vote anywhere in the country. Um, <clears throat> That money that's now raised, and they raise as much as they can, would have to be spread out. It wouldn't have the kind of impact on, that it has now. It would still have a lot, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as determinative as it is now. This is what I've found it hard to understand. Why is this such a major point with you, that the money would be spread out? Well, it's a, it's a, I'd be for it, even if, if that weren't the case. But the... The, the relative power uh, under the current arrangement of, of money versus grassroots versus people politics, money politics versus people politics, is very disturbing. It's disturbing in, in, in many parts of our government. It's certainly disturbing in the lobbying that goes on in Congress. Uh, but in a presidential election, it's, it's disturbing too. Uh, I think it's pretty intuitively obvious why uh, one would want to increase the relative importance of citizen politics, participatory grassroots politics, um, where you're, the ticket of admission is just the fact that you're a citizen and a voter over, over uh, money politics. It's funny. What I see is an increased 
desire for bigger and bigger pots of money because you're spreading the areas mm -hmm. where money can be used and must be used. So, yes. That's a plus? Minus in my book. Well, here's why it's a plus in my book. Uh, for one thing, right now, uh, presidential campaigns raise as much money as, is, as they can. Uh, they don't reach a certain point and say, well, we've got enough now, let's knock off this fundraising. They, they, maybe they'll try harder, if they possibly can, if that's imaginable, to raise more money, and maybe they will. Let's say they raise half again as much money. Let's say instead of costing, whatever it now it costs, a billion dollars, it's the whole election costs maybe two billion for both sides. Let's say instead of two billion, it's th they raise three billion. They'll have to take that three billion and spread it over 50 states in the District of Columbia instead of 12 states or eight states or four states. So impact-wise, uh, it will be it will be less important even though there's more of it. There is no such limit on citizen part participation. I don't think anybody would suggest that, that there's as much grassroots political mobilization as there possibly can be right now. There just isn't. It only, it only in those few states. Rick, do you see, if you look back and say over the past 20, 30, 40 years, we had the reform that you want, what would have happened differently? Well, one way, to results. one way to look at it is to say, uh, is to pretend that we had that system and just look at what the popular vote was and the electoral vote. Uh, so a lot of people say, well, if we'd had the system I'm talking about, Gore would have been president. But if we'd had the system I'm talking about, the campaign would have been conducted in a very different way. There'd been a whole different strategy uh, on both sides. You really don't know. Uh, same with the, with the, the, with the uh, 2004 campaign, where if 50,000, 60,000 votes in Ohio had, had, had switched to Kerry, Kerry would have been elected president uh, without a dispute, not like Florida in 2000, would have been elected president despite losing by 3 million votes. Uh, the the Humphrey-Nixon campaign, uh, where where uh, Nixon won by fewer popular votes than Gore, than Gore uh, won in 2000, um, the 1960 campaign. You can go back uh, 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 the 1976 campaign. All of these can all of these elections could have could have tilted uh, uh, could have tilted very easily, um, but they would have all been fought differently. They would have been fought. Uh, they would have been fought all over the country, uh, states. A few states would have not have been the decisive factor. States would be important, but only in the sense that they're important to voters. You know, if, I, if all I cared about was the interests of New York, then I'd vote on that basis. But that's not all I care about. In fact, it's quite low on the list of what I care about. And I think for most Americans, virtually all Americans, the state, their state, is not that relevant a category when they are looking to vote for president. And compared to the way it was in 1789 or throughout the 19th century, where you live, your geographic location at any given moment in your life is very low on the list of the things that are important to you. Back then, most people stayed in the same, didn't get more than 50 miles from home in their whole lives, so geography was a very important category. Not now. What's happening with your 
wished for reform? Well, um, it's, it's, only, uh, it's only, I guess, what, four years old since it was uh, introduced. Um, it has been adopted by, <clears throat> by enough states to bring, to get it halfway to the 270 votes that it Excuse needed. me, when you say has been adopted, what do you mean? I mean that, that uh, an identical bill has been passed by both houses of the state legislature and signed by the governor into law. And the bill provides? The bill, provi- the bill provides that, that we join an interstate compact under which as soon as enough states have joined the same compact by passing the same bill uh, to account for the 270 electoral votes that are needed to, to elect a president. When that happens, this comes into effect, and at the next election, our electors, we will choose the electors who, of the candidate who wins the most votes. An interstate uh, compact such as this uh, are they worth, uh, you know, the, the usual... paper they're yeah, on? Yeah, yeah there, are, there are hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, a lot of them are on kind of technocratic things. The Port Authority of New York is an example of an interstate compact. Um, there, there, there's, a long, there's a long legislative and judicial history behind them. They're kind of like treaties among the states. Uh, they can't impinge on federal power. Uh, but apart from that... Um, there's a lot of things you can do with, with an interstate uh, compact. Do you think this one, so fundamental, is among the things you can do? I think it is, yeah. And there's, uh, because, mainly because the, uh, the case law about, uh, about the uh, provision of the Constitution that says the legisla- that, that the states will choose their electors according to how the, that legislature says they'll be chosen. Right. Uh, even in, in uh, Gore v. Bush, um, the majority said, well, you, they could do anything, they could choose them any way they like. You know, if the, and in fact, the, the Republican Florida legislature, when it was unclear which way it was going to turn out, was, was stealing itself to just give the electors to Bush, no matter how, the, right. how it turned out. So uh, I'm sure there'd be a court test of this. But... Um, uh, but I don't think it would succeed. And by the way, one of the things people say is, well, if some state doesn't like it, you know, once, once, once the results are in uh, and, you know, New York, New York has signed on and it turns out that, 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 that the Republican wins and New York wanted the Democrat, New York will say, well, okay, well, forget about that. We're casting our votes for our candidate. And, the candidate won New York. And what about that? Well, the part of the compact is you can't get out of it uh, you can't get out of it uh, from, uh, I can't remember the exact interval, but for a period of months so that, that uh, uh, you, can't, you can't pull a switcheroo after the election. How many times in your lifetime have you dealt with things that you can't do but are done? That's what I mean, uh, my uneasiness about this notion of uh, these interstate compacts. Mm-hmm and how easy they would be to um, undo under the pressure that you just described where a state's real candidate doesn't win thanks to this mm-hmm. cockamiky scheme. <laughs> well, um, this, is, this, is a very, this is a very remote and unlikely danger compared to all the dangers of the status quo uh, exemplified w- uh, un- under which a state can just do whatever the hell it pleases. 
the, the, the idea of of the uh, the idea of electing the president the way we elect everybody else and doing it in this particular way where we could in a sense we could try it and see if we like it we don't we wouldn't have to amend the constitution which is really hard to unamend once you've once you've amended it uh, we could we could do this and the the, the 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 fear that that some state would change its mind at the last moment uh, even though it's legally obliged not to and that that would go to a court and and that's exactly what would happen and 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 the supreme court given its previous uh, case law would be likely to say no you signed the compact you keep the compact unless and you were five uh, supreme justices of one persuasion and four of the other and the five would do what I think you and I think they did in uh, 2001. It'd be a lot harder for them to do it. And what you're, what the, the worry you're expressing is one that has already come true under the status quo and is surpassingly unlikely to come true under this because the, the notion of a disputed election where, uh, where it's too close to call nationally, that has never actually happened. There's never been one of those. Uh, we've had the smaller the electorate, uh, the more likely you are to have that problem, the problem we had in Florida, about 536 votes uh, out, of eight, out of 90 million. Um, the closest we've come in the popular vote is, around, is a little over 100,000 in 1960. That's still a clear, that's still a clear win. The idea that somehow uh, a Florida type or a 2000 type situation is more likely under under this than it is under um, than it is under the status quo, it's ridiculous. The smaller the you know you get a lot more disputed elections uh, for a city council seat than for a governorship. But can you imagine, or have you imagined and rejected the idea that there would be many, many, many troubles arising out of? a sufficient number of states signing this interstate compact mm-hmm. and moving ahead as you, as you want. You don't see this as even more fraught? No. And, and Dick, you're going to have to tell me how it's fraught because uh, I, I, don't see, I don't see the problem. Because I don't see the problem. I, I guess the fraught comes in with the manipulation, with the changing, uh, you make it perfectly clear that the founders left it up to the states to do uh, this as they please to determine uh, how you pick your presidential electors. But um, this is a change of a system that has been in effect for such a long time uh, that has lived through all these precarious uh, victories where we could see that the victory didn't belong to this person, but really belonged to that. Uh, I just think that the troubles would be just enormous. But you haven't told me what they are. What they are would be the challenges. You described it well enough. One state realized that even though it had signed on, it didn't get what it wanted. You'd have to, you'd have, to have a situation where, where a state that had signed on to the where election, where... where where an election was, was uh, so close 
and a, a, a state legislature, a whole state government, a state both houses of a state legislature and a governor, uh, were so determined to overturn the popular will of the American people that they would that they would that they would try to repeal their agreement to the national popular vote plan, uh, and it would have to be a situation in which that state. Um, was the decisive one. In other words, where it wasn't just where, where the compact had been signed by enough states more than two, with more than 270 so that their withdrawal wouldn't make any difference anyway. And then you'd have to believe that, uh, that having dared to do that, uh, bringing on the outrage of the entire uh, American population and the world probably, that the courts would back them up. Now, <clears throat> that's the worst, worst, worst case scenario. We've already had it. We, You're right. We have had it. And we've had it. And, 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 uh, and they've continued along the same paths. We've had it. We swallowed it and moved along. We swallowed it because the, the alternative to swallowing it was too awful to contemplate. And that alternative was that we had undergone a kind of judicial coup d'etat. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's something that nobody wanted to face. Uh, it would have been a blessing, in a way, if if uh, if it had, if if uh, Gore had held out. No, it. no. If in the next election, um, if in the next election, uh, Kerry had been elected despite losing the popular vote, then it would be clear that this is a problem for the whole country, uh, and it, nobody knows who's going to do better under this uh, under this plan. But what we do know is that, that the system of electing, the idea of electing who gets the most votes has worked very nicely in every other election in this country and no reason why it shouldn't work very nicely for president. Rick, what we really do know is I've just gotten the signal that our time is up, so we're going to have to fight this out <laughs> at another point. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Open Mind. And thanks for hearing me out, Dick. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. Meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash open mind.